0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.
1: Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: And welcome, everyone, and thanks first and foremost for being an intentional spirit and of all the places that you could partake and be a part of. You choose to be the trailblazers out there in the field, uh, being conscious of what is conscious around you. Um, Ever so often on your path, you I know it happens to you. I know from the emails you send, um, we are all in agreement that you meet someone along your path. You hear about and you go, wow! This is a divine appointment. I'm so thrilled to have today, Laura Day. She is such a difference maker on the planet because she is willing to be different and bring her talents, her energy, her intuition to the world. Laura, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, it's such a such a pleasure. Well, you're all over the internet. You know, you Google and you it, it's. There's so much about you and I'm I'm saying that to not only impress but to impress upon our listeners that they can go and, and listen to videos that you do and more information. But how did you become an intentional spirit? What was there a defining moment in your life or a collective series of moments that led um, up to the work?
0: I think that I'm still working on being an intentional spirit because it's very hard to go against that subconscious patterning. It really takes, I think, a commitment to knowing what your integrity is, to an awareness and hygiene in your interactions. Um, but for me, I think that, that um, becoming an intentional spirit had phases because when I was little, I had a very sick, manic-depressive mother and a very absent father and three younger siblings so my intention was to care for my siblings so an i inherited an intention and i did it well um i lost my childhood but i gained these superb intuitive skills and i think that that's very important that whenever there's a loss there is always a gain not my favorite way to get gains but that's kind of the way it works um So then when my mother committed suicide when I was 14 and my siblings were older, what my purpose was, not my purpose only in serving, but my purpose as a being began to be born within me. And it was actually a very painful process. You know, what is my use? What am I here for? Um, Why do I deal with all the difficulties of every day and the anxieties? And I went through a really long period of time kind of deciding whether I even really wanted to be here because being a natural, intuitive the spiritual world was always so available to me and always so pleasant for me to cross over in the ways I could while still being alive that, that the decision, I couldn't really become intentional till I made the decision to be a human being, part of the human race and fully on the planet or as fully as I'll ever be. Um, and and so really the moment that, that I think I became an, an intentional spirit where I said it is important not just to be of service, uh, not just to get the things I want, but to feel really right in doing it and to create a world I want as I'm doing it was the day they put my son, who's now 24, in my arms. Because all of a sudden... Not only was the whole world in my arms in the body of this child, but I all of a sudden became important to myself, my survival, my integrity, my thoughts, who I was in the world, because I realized I was the world for this child. So I think for me, that was really the moment where I had my first I am statement, you know, I am Alive. I am a mother. I have needs. I want things that are appropriate and I want some things that are inappropriate. And I am empowered to find the tools to make those changes and make those choices. And from that day, so many things happened. I, have an, uh, I had an autoimmune disease, which really conditioned my life as a young person. It completely disappeared. Because the minute that I intentionally set my goals but also had the courage to investigate, are these worthy? Do they really mean anything to me now or is this what I wanted at 10 years old that I'm still going on automatic pilot about? But at that point, I I entered a process uh, which became The Circle, one of my fourth book. I, I At that point, I really feel like I was given a process of constantly finding a goal but then doing the really difficult work of reforming the subconscious, redirecting intuition, and accessing spirit uh, with integrity, because I think there is a way to access spirit without integrity, to create those goals and to reform myself. So that's a long answer to your short question.
2: Oh, it's, it's really... Um very powerful and I, I can just resonate with, with so much of it. And also fine through talking with people as you do and people all over the world. There's so many of the sacred healers uh, as just a a reference point or transformational intuitives that so many of us carried this space of, do I want to be here or not? Um, and that's a, a very interesting place. Can I be on this planet? You know, I feel so out of sorts. I used to say, you know, up until my parents were forty, and when when I was forty, and my parents were in their sixties, I would say, you can tell me now I was adopted, <laughs> because I just always felt like, you know, how, how did I get here? What what is this? You know, um, but. To take what you have done and then be in that transformation it, it's a very powerful story and I just wanted to highlight that because I know that there are many people now like you know it's tough it's hard and, and until they can understand that integration that can happen with stepping into that place and was that when your son was born 24 years ago was that the beginning of when you went into this uh, transformative work, or had you been no, somewhat involved I, with it before
0: that? You had, I had been you? involved way before. In my early 20s, um, back when universities and the military were doing tests on extrasensory perception and non-local effect or healing, um, I was a I was a test subject because I really, the esoteric part of what, what I was experiencing felt too much like mental illness to me. What I really wanted was the scientific proof that I could predict the future or see inside a body or affect an object at a distance. So when I was twenty one I became a test subject basically and what happened was one of these one of these tests was televised, and I had this instant following um, of of people, and people would come to me and say, "Well." Can you predict the outcome, you know, of this medication on a thousand patients? And I'd say, well, I don't know, but I'll try. So I kept on trying, and a very mainstream career developed uh, with a very weird uh, kind of gift. So it was an it was an evolution, but I was always very aware that my brain uh, worked differently and that my perceptions were different, and that sometimes I would say things that hadn't happened yet. And that's not that's not a pleasant experience for a child. But one of the things, you know, you were speaking before about kind of healers and seers, and one of the reasons I love to teach is you get a bunch of people in a room, and you remind them of what they can do, and they do it together, and they become seers, they become healers, they transform themselves, they transform each other, and in my family there's a joke, it's all about me, they transform me. And that that community, especially when you add those skills of intuition and healing and the basic truth that science is now proving across every discipline that we are one, you know, that our separateness is an illusion. But when we use that pragmatically, that oneness pragmatically to create our lives, it's incredible. And I I live near the World Trade Center, so on 9-11, and it's a very wealthy, kind of snobby neighborhood. And, you know, everyone kind of, you know... Our street people, we give money to, but we don't really say hello. We don't really know our shopkeepers, you know. But on nine eleven, I walked out of the subway, having dropped my son off at school, and a plane. I saw a plane go into a building. And wow. what what happened under stress in our neighborhood was incredible, because women in their Chanel suits. We're, we're helping our homeless across the bridge and sharing bottles of water, one sip for him, one sip for me. I mean, just, the, I really saw that when there's a boom, when all the artifices is exploded away, what remains actually is the basic unity and decency of our humanity. So a lot of my work now is about getting people together into groups, showing them how they can get information, showing them how they can channel healing and transform their bodies, their communities, and their world, and showing them that they don't need an expert to do it. They are the healers. You know, they are the gurus. They are the leaders, every single person. And I think what people don't understand is that we, you know, life is hard. We all feel like pond slime a lot of the time. If you don't, you're not a seeker. You know, if you don't, either you have very good psych meds or you're not looking hard enough. Because we all find, you know, our weaknesses all the time. And the difference between the the hurt and the healer is that the healer says, I have a weakness and now I'm going to find the cure. And then I'm going to share that cure and the and the healer becomes a teacher. Wow.
2: I love I love how you frame that. I'm so glad we're recording that because <laughs> so I want to share this with a lot of the, the healers that I know within my own community and, and others because that's that's so poignant, R- right on what you're, you're saying. Of course, living in the world today, that there is going to be that space often with us because of that depth. Well said. <laughs> well, thank you
0: for creating the space.
2: Well, I, I love the I love the the magic and the miracles of what's available to us. There's no doubt about it. It's and and to be able to scan, you know, intuitively and and see, you know, where someone is that lives in several states away or whatever. But I also love the practicality of not wanting nor desiring to replace our humanity and I think that often when people get into the the role of healing well there's some people that are out there that are waiting until they have no issues and then they say well they're you know then they'll go and do their work and, and
0: that's a I, long wait
2: I always laugh and say well, Maybe we'll see each other on the other side. If I waited before I ever made any kind of statement as a spiritual leader until everything felt like it was just right in place, when would I have ever started? If if at all. You know, that's one level of it. But the other level is that I think sometimes people feel like, oh, okay, I've committed to this work. I'm out there. I'm, I'm using SEVA. I'm helping. I'm making a difference. But I want to replace being a human being, and they go together so, so closely.
0: So well, I think that humanity, I mean, my I've written six books, and they're all workshops because I think life is hard enough. Too much philosophy is just more work. So they're all things like how do you use this to improve your business? How do you use this to attain a goal? How do you use this to invest more effectively? You know, how do you use this to just make your life better? Because, you know, life is life is hard. But my new book is really about the fact that the spiritual journey is in being human. And there is n- nobody on this planet who is not walking into a wall because if you're not walking into a wall, you're not growing. And when you when you resolve one wall, you walk into another one and that is the story of life and and the trick I think to life is to really learn you are empowered to resolve the walls you walk into and you are empowered to find the joy in the moment while you're doing it because i think that life becomes even more difficult because of the things internally we do to ourselves i mean most of the problems for many of us and i think most of you know most of your congregation and most of my readership are fairly fortunate we make ourselves And then we do have, I mean, the spiritual journey for me is the human journey because spirit, you know, not that hard to be in spirit from what I've experienced, really not that hard, really hard to negotiate all of the bumps and warts and creaks and, you know, uncertainty of being a human being. And I think that if we can really take the time, and I hope anyone listening is doing this now, to just say to ourselves, Good job. I mean, no matter how imperfectly you did it, if you got out of bed this morning and brushed your teeth and got dressed and did maybe one useful thing or made contact with one person, good job because it's a lot. Life is a big job. And in doing our lives well and with heart, we really evolve all of spirit. Spirit isn't changing we as human beings are changing spirit. And, and yet we really, you know, we, we, we elevate spirituality to be the end goal, where really the end goal is creating successful lives. And if you are in touch with spirit, your life is successful. It doesn't mean that it's perfect. I mean, all you have to do is Google me. You see all my messes. And by the way, when my PR people say, oh, we can clean that up in the web, I say, don't you dare. I want every word out there. Because as a teacher, I'm, I, I have extraordinary gifts, and so does every single person in the world. And I have extraordinary challenges. All of them are work in progress. And and I, I think that the real responsibility as a teacher is to be honest about it all. And I I do think that one of the downsides of a lot of the kind of spiritual business, self help business, is this idea that you evolve and then you're evolved and that's it. And that's called that's called way past dead. Because even dead, you got stuff you're working on. You know, it, it's it's. For it's sure. really important to acknowledge that we all we all are struggling. We're all struggling with our darker instincts and we're all struggling with, you know, habits and relationships we re- recreate over and over that are destructive. We're all struggling and the idea is that we're also amazingly empowered to acquire and employ tools to make it better and easier and If we do that in community, community is alchemic. I love the when two or more gather in my name, we, when we get together, we can completely transform each other. And it's so important. I do so many free groups. Partly I do it because I've been very fortunate and I want to share. But, you know, the hairy bottom line is I know that when I'm in a group of people, and we are connected, and we are doing healing, that miracles happen for me, miracles happen in my own life. Because, of course, we all avoid the things we avoid, but when you're in a group, the other people won't avoid those things, and they will carry you to safety.
2: Oh, I, I could listen to you much longer than an hour, and I'm so thrilled that you're coming to our spiritual campus for those of you that are just coming on we're talking to Laura Day you can go to her website practicalintuition.com. thank you to all of you for your ongoing support of unity online radio which creates the space for us to be serving millions throughout the world and whether you are supporting financially energetically in your prayer work or forwarding these messages. Thank you. We'll be right back after this short break.
3: Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone you can make a one-time or recurring donation your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world text unity radio to seven two seven two seven thank you for your support we are all on the journey together making sense of this life Finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery. With articles and features from leading authors,
0: teachers and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org.
3: And explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I light a candle in your name.
1: Thank you for listening to The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at the intentional spirit at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here is your host, Reverend Temple Hayes.
2: And welcome back, everyone, and thank you for being with us. Obviously, we're all benefiting from the conversation we're having today. Uh, global extraordinaire Laura Day. I urge you to go to her website, practicalintuition.com. She has a blog, video sessions. You can see various things. She's been all over the media. Uh, just great stuff. I have already benefited immensely from watching some of her sessions and benefiting from her teaching. You can also sign up for her newsletter. Um Laura, um, when we think about the overall all passion of your work, I know that you love just paying it forward and you do that so effortless and so willingly. When you come together in a community or a group of people and you do a healing service, what, is the, what does that entail? Describe that to us because healing is such a broad used word.
0: Well, for me, he, one of the things that I discovered very early on, because what, uh, my original testing when I was in my early 20s, there were a lot of doctors involved, and I would remotely just by the number on a patient file tell them what was wrong with the patient. And But often I would direct my energy to see whatever was wrong resolving, and often it did. So healing is really being able to affect matter remotely. And there have been a lot of scientific studies on healing. One of my favorite kind of weirder studies was done by the TM people Um, And they had a certain amount of people in a war-torn area meditate on peace for a certain amount of time each day, and violence completely stopped during that time. So it's really interesting. And, of course, you know, um, remote healing has been done on things like bacteria and viruses and fungus, uh, and we really do have a remote effect, which is why it's so important to keep our internal hygiene. But... One of the reasons I stopped doing kind of private healing sessions is what I found and and I often had the opportunity to do this because I would lecture at universities and at the end, you know my goal is always get people to do this for themselves, get them to do this in their communities. So at the end, I would bring them together using a specific process to really change whatever they needed to change in their own lives. So first I would bring them together as a single energy, and then I would take them through a process where they would direct that toward the things that they wanted to evolve in their own lives. Now sometimes these were things like uh, illnesses or broken bones or tumors, but sometimes there were things like relationships or not being able to pay their mortgage or chronic depression. And what I found was that in a group, it literally took about thirty seconds for a good twenty to thirty percent of the group to report absolute miracles. So a miracle. My definition of a miracle is where there is no no conceivable medical scientific logical explanation for an instantaneous positive change and what I also found is that when I did these groups even though I was leading them and often I would lay my hands on over 200 people but even though I was leading these groups after the groups I, My entire life would change so that we as a group, when we embody the same vibration, for lack of a better word, the same frequency, are able to create dramatic change in the matrix of one another's lives. And you really... You, you you know, I always say in these groups, because now I do them all over the country, I come and I do healing groups all over the country. And, of course, everybody wants, you know, me to put their ha- my hands on them because I'm the honey in the bear, I always say. You know, you can get just as good honey in a jar for an eighth of the price, but I'm the honey in the cute little bear. and um, and And so they think it works better. But actually what works is the unity of energy and having a facilitator, which is the role that you and I play in those groups. Um, But it it is just the most transformative dynamic process. And my goal now is to create these communities all over, so to seed these communities. And I wrote a book called The Circle. And The Circle really gives a nine-step approach to how to heal everything. I've used it to heal companies that were going out of business, to heal people's finances, to heal people's bodies, their relationships. It, and it's a, it, it's a deceptively simple approach that actually is incredibly complex by the simple virtue of the fact that anything human is complex. We are complex beings. Um, So there are many different ways I do a healing service depending on the size. I never refuse to lay my hands on somebody. So sometimes I literally will do a couple hundred people and lay my hands on every single person. A lot of the time... I hold the energy for the group, um, and then we all do laying on of hands on each other. But then after, I usually end up staying for hours laying, laying hands on people. And by the way, there was a scientific study that when the healer does the healing, there when you take you know their blood and EKG and all of that, they heal even more than the person being healed. So actually, the gift of being a healer is that you get healed. Um, You can also uh, heal remotely. So when I do a healing service, I'm doing a couple things. My intention is that every single person walk out of there with their bodies, their lives, and their relationships healed. Uh, My secondary intention is that every single person walk out of there knowing how to do that for one another. It's very hard to perform a healing on yourself. Healing on yourself you do using the circle, which is you, you integrate it into your daily life and it's slower. Um, But a healing on another can be immediate and dramatic, and that's because, you know, I have my energetic patterns i 'm fifty seven years old. A lot of those patterns are real old, real entrenched and i 'm really good at avoiding those changes that would be an assault to those patterns, even if they 're unhealthy ones, even if they 're ones that keep arguments in place or un- ill health in place or any other kind of misery in place. However, when you get a group, you bring that 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 pure energy. Down and through without it, and it's so much stronger than the individual's illness, than the individual's pathology than, than the difficulties in life that they've put up for themselves. It's so much stronger that together, I mean, I love doing groups where they're 2,000 because that energy is amazing. And I actually used to have people come up and do a laying out of hands, but so many people would pass out the second you touched them that it would just ended up being too messy and taking too much time. So then I would do it where I would stand in front of the group, but the problem is a lot of the time energy was so strong I pass out. Wow. So, so I really had to had to experiment. But the idea is that there is a powerful energy that we all share, that we can all channel. But when we do it together, it's amazing. And Temple, that's what you and I are going to do. And I could already feel, we had a little pre-interview, and I could already feel that sometimes there's a dynamic connection between people that allows them to complete a circuit for others. And I really had a very strong intuitive image of the two of us standing up there and everybody's pain everybody's problems releasing you know that I just it was a very uh, wonderful intense image including our own of course because you know one of the things I you know often I train healers and I train intuitives and most of the intuition I do are for large companies which is how I can afford to do a lot of these f- free events and um, and you know they they're always um, they're There are always people who say, oh, after a healing, I'm so exhausted. I'm thinking, you're not doing it right. Because after (laughs) I do a healing, literally, I'm walking on air everything in my life goes well, people who are nasty call to apologize, things that haven't been working out all of a sudden go right, you know, my, my hemoglobin increases, you know, it's, it's, it's such a dynamic experience. And the other part of it, and we'll be doing a lot of this in the workshop that we'll do after the services, is really being able to employ the other part of spirituality, intuition, into your daily life. So to be able to predict events, not to say, oh, my God, this is going to happen, or oh, yay, this is going to happen, but to be able in the present to create better futures for ourselves and our communities. And community, I think, is such a key. Um, I've, you know, one of the downsides of being very intuitively open. You know, everyone says, oh, your life must be perfect. Well, no, when you're feeling everything everybody feels and the things that are going to happen, life is pretty overwhelming. And I I have a very intuitive family, and out of a family of six, there are only three still living because life was too overwhelming for three of them. And one of the things that really saved me is from the time I was born, I just had a gift of connecting with community. So there was no matter where I turned, there was always family, there was always food, there was always a warm bed, there was always what I needed, And I think that as we create stronger communities, which is what I hope to do, and as we employ intuition to really be able to see what we're not being told, because we all know, you know, you can't trust the news. You can't, you know, you can't, you really need to find your own wisdom. But as we get that information, we will know how to create the changes that we need to change because everything in community, when community works, everything is easy and there you know i think that there's certain qu- political issues that correspond to community i mean we can't have a 8 dollar minimum wage and expect our communities to be strong you right. know <laughs> we can exactly. have no services for children, you know, insufficient education, not enough food for people in the, or homes in a rich company and a, a country and expect our communities to be strong. And I think that we really, I, I mean, I see people say, oh, my God, goodness, like the young now, you know, they're so out of touch. I see our young people really involved in community.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I know that that's why being part of a spiritual community is so important for me. Not only, of course, because one of the first, most important things about living is being a student and you know learning every day, either something that you're appreciative of or something you can improve. But that being said, I I love what you're saying because we have now. We were developing even a stronger system towards um, children's gifts being measured by what they make on a test, and it's um,
0: terrifying. It's,
2: it's terrifying. It's unfortunate, and we see it all the time in our Unity children, or our Science of Mind children. We see these gifted Indigo children that you know are so amazing, and they're held back in school. Because they cannot fit in the box, you know, of what the, of, of what the system is. So that that's for sure. So,
0: well, yes. I think where you where in Florida, where you are, you probably have different problems than we have in New York. Because I would assume that that all you Southerners teach your children manners and to get along, which New Yorkers need to do a little more for their children. You know, I think that in some ways we're such a big country that culturally our problems are so different. So, you know, on the east coast, our children actually get a get a fair amount of space and to educationally, I would say more than in many parts of the country. But they what they don't get is, you know what? get up on a train if there's someone pregnant or an old person, say good morning, say good evening, practice social hygiene, because that's actually not just the rules, but that's how we're all going to make a better world together, those little tiny things. Are important. So, in a sense, especially in affluent New Yorkers, there's, I think there's an overemphasis on the precious individuality of the child. Individuality is great, but doesn't work unless community works. But I totally agree with you about the tests because I think that also what what neuroscience is finding is children develop neurologically at vastly different rates so the child who can barely tie his shoes at 10 you know maybe the physics genius at 18 but that that constant testing not only i think does it does it really damage our children but it damages our teachers i mean our teachers are really our our heroes when i see a teacher i just want to get down and kiss their feet because yes. you know and they're constantly measured Uh, you know, by some standards that have nothing to do with learning on a very, very hard job. And I I taught the circle uh, many years ago in the Toronto school system, which is all about how do you use healing, intuition, community? How can you find a way to be inclusive and still feel empowered, you know, still feel special when you're part of something? and the kids just took to it right away and the teachers did too because the kids suddenly realized wait a sec this person's doing a really hard job there's 30 people with individual needs in this person's 50 minute class where they have to impart enough information for us to do well on these stupid tests and the community was incredible yes
2: i love it i Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the work. Everyone well, be sure and go the- to practical intuition and to get in touch with this uh, teacher and model that is so necessary and needing, needed on our planet today. You know, one of the things, Laura, that, that we had touched base upon um, in our couple of conversations we've had is um, I started becoming even more aware of... Um, Years ago of how the feelings that I would have, um, because being a recovering alcoholic, you know, I went through many years of no feelings at all. So it took me a little longer than maybe it takes some people. But I, I love the feelings and I celebrate that we were created to have them. And there's something beautiful about them and likened to what you were saying earlier. It's not necessarily the feelings that we're having. It's the resistance of the feelings that we're having that make it so uncomfortable often for people. That being said, um, I started connecting the dots years ago of feeling either anxious or deeply sad. And I would be publicly with a friend and she said, you know, well, what is wrong? And I said, I just almost feel like there's going to be a major earthquake happen or something. And um, the next day I went and we had a special delivery of a newspaper. You know, earthquake hit Japan. And and so could you talk about that and your level of knowing people and, and having had this experience before?
0: Well, this is one of my favorite topics. I wrote a book that 's really an intuitive textbook called How to Rule the World from Your Couch and people hated the title because they said it 's not spiritual, but what I meant was everything is in the planning you know you, you basically you create success on your couch, not when you're in the situation but one of the one of the most important lessons um, and I have two dead siblings to prove it one of the most important lessons in using your intuition is also to learn to filter it. The, the circle and how to rule the world, world from your couch really help help one do this. But a filter is, for example, what is within my area of control? So, you know, many intuitives um, like myself, and I've been tested and it's been proven and I'm fairly well-known we'll get a sense of a tragedy happening where people could be evacuated and we'll call the appropriate organizations and nothing will be done. So an earthquake someplace where you can't help is something that in How to Rule the World from Your Couch, you learn how to filter out. And something more like uh, an unexpected school closing 2 days from now where you can rally church members to take the children of people who need to go to jobs that you can do something about can be heard because you're not being overwhelmed by all of this extraneous information. And intuition, you know, we train intellect. O- we train intellect over a lifetime. That's what all our schooling is. But intuition also, like anything else in life, needs some training and discipline. And so that openness, I actually have an exercise, a lot of exercises in how to rule the world from your couch about how to shut down the things that you can't do anything about. The other thing is a lot of mental illness, a lot of depression, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of kind of any kind of self-medication, a lot of things like, um, like uh, bo- unexplainable body aches or joint aches are often that we're not separating out from the people around us who may not even be physically around us, but are in our consciousness, that are in distress, but who we really can't help. So, although compassion's great, it can also be toxic because it's very important. You know, we we only spiritually we have infinite resources, but physically and in a material world, we have limited resources. So I really encourage people to say, "Okay, what's important?" So my list is what's important to me. You know, um, top of the list, my son and my husband, and their well being. Then I'm right under that, um, and and then you know the the my extended family, my students, my home. So I really look. I really kind of try to build an almost artificial matrix of what it is I want information about. And all the rest of it, I probably am so much less intuitive than the normal person. I don't pick up world disasters unless they're happening in New York. So before 9-11, I didn't pick up that a plane was going to hit a building because if I had, I would have fallen apart and not done anything. But what I did was all of a sudden I felt the need to have cash in the house. My dad's a doctor. I went to his office and got a bunch of masks. I ordered lots of bottles of water. I did all of these things just kind of without even thinking about it a couple weeks before 9-11. And on 9-11, I had cash, masks, and water to give every single person in the little school that is beneath my home. And, of course, had it for myself. Um, so you know, that's ideally the way intuition works, that the things you can't affect stay out of your consciousness. And the things you can affect not only come into your consciousness, but not as a difficult feeling, um, but as a, okay, here are some things to do. So when I worry about something, I always ask myself a series of questions. Uh, what is it? Does it affect me or mine? Or can I have an effect, a helpful effect for somebody else? And if not, I really just redirect my attention. And there are exercises in the book to be able to do that. The same thing with a lot of conversations. Like a lot of people have arguments in their heads that they think are, are innocuous. They think they're not harming them. But actually, telepathy has been scientifically proven time and time and time again over 50 years. I mean, there's, there are videos on telepathy exper- experiments from 50 years ago. Videos. I mean, film. Obviously not videos, but... And telepathy is a real thing, and it's very important to redirect your mind away from conversations that have no positive outcome. So, like, even think about when someone cuts you off on the road and you're still fighting with them in your head 20 minutes later. That's a very toxic thing. Now, the conversation I'm having with my son about the fact that he definitely has to have those wisdom teeth pulled before they become impacted, that telepathic conversation, that one's worth it to me. So I (laughs) stay on it, and I stay on it until I'm so irritating to him from New York to California that he makes that appointment. But the person who's coming off on the street once they're out of my field, they need to also be out of my telepathic field. And a lot of us, you know, telepathy, in my in the book that will be published um, in 2018, one of the things that I say is that telepathy, we think of telepathy, or and for those of you who don't understand the term telepathy, it's sending a message or receiving a message mentally. We often think of it as something that goes on in the head but it's not. It's something that goes on in the heart. So for telepathy to occur, there needs to be some kind of connection. Telepathy, for example, is one of the way that we keep in touch with people who have passed on. And it's really important to, to keep working on those relationships with the people we love who have died, but in a positive way. But it's very important, even with someone close, if the telepathy has no positive goal, to really redirect it to telepathy that does have a positive goal. And telepathy is very powerful. You can create a telepathic relationship with your true love who you haven't met yet. You can create a telepathic relationship for... And with an investor in your company, you haven't met yet. And that's part of the the gift of training intuition. But to go back to what you said about your feelings, you know, just feeling that sadness and the depression and when things are about to happen that are calamities, if you can't do something about it, you need to redirect and filter. Because otherwise, it's overwhelming. And we do have, we have a country that that is chronically anxious and depressed and overweight and self-medicates. And a lot of that is because we are so overwhelmed with news. News creates connection. Connection creates telepathy. And telepathy creates, it, it occupies our inner space. So you really have to have hygiene in the inner space. And I'm really hoping, Temple, that when I come out to do Unity Church with you, that we'll be able to set up a circle that you or someone else will continue at the church. Because one of the things, once again, that keeps you really, keeps your life, keeps your earth reality on track is having a process that you do in community, so in addition to worship, which is always wonderful, and I'll worship anywhere. I mean, if there's, if there's some occasion to worship, I'm there. I join in. I've done everything. Um, but the circle is this nine-step program that you work and work and work, and as you do, you see your life completely change and your body and your relationships. So I hope we can start one. I, I'd love to start it up, and then when I leave, have someone take it over.
2: Absolutely. Well, that's what we're definitely planning on because um, we have so many practitioners and people in the field of healing and Reiki and shamanic practitioners, etc., that are very much um, looking forward to the deepening, the skills, and you know the tools. And I I love what you were talking about with with telepathy because. It, it's, again, it's, it's a word, and when people think of telepathy, it's often, I was thinking a mom and she called, or I had a sense about my cousin, and, and, and really there was something going on. But I love the other part of what you're saying in the awareness is that telepathy is the conversations that you're, you have going on and on with the road rage or, you know, whatever, you didn't like the way somebody looked at you, you know, going down the hall or whatever. That that can continue if you allow it to continue. And that's. I love the way you frame that.
0: Um, well, one of the things I love about how to rule the world from your couch is every, every kind, because intuition has a lot of parts. So like telepathy has an exercise at the beginning of the chapter before you learn about it that you do. And you can confirm that the person you were talking to, actually heard you so i have people really verify that this isn't happening in their head this is happening in the real world in real time and that really means that we need to clean up that telepathy for our own sake, because a lot of the time we don't understand why we're getting certain reactions, you know, that weren't, you know, we're being nice, but we're not getting nice reactions. And often it's the telepathy that's happening that we need to clean up that's causing that. So we, we can, you know, we can often get in our own ways. And I think people also really get confused with precognition, which is telling the future. And once again, I was tested under, you know, controlled circumstances for precognition. Precognition exists. There's, once again, lots of scientific studies that confirm precognition exists. But the way people use precognition is often damaging. If someone tells me I'm going to have a car accident, I don't wait in terror for it to happen. I look for, okay, why, who am I with, what day is it, what color is the car, and I avoid it. We're so trained to feel disempowered that... And it is the danger of going to psychics is that is that someone tells you something that will happen. They may or may not be right. But often the emphasis is not on, hey, here are the details and here are options. Let me help you choose a better option. And that's so important. We are not disempowered. We are infinitely powerful beings each and every one of us. And so it's so important to realize, yes, you can predict, but you can also make choices that change those predictions.
2: This and so much more to learn from Laura Day. I'd like to urge everybody to go to her website, practicalintuition.com. If you're in St. Petersburg in February of Next year, please join us. But also, she's in California, in New York. And on her website, you can see the various events. And please get enrolled and be part of the blog. And I wanted to delve into right away, not only the two books, but the other ones that you have. You have six. Laura, thank you so much for being with us today and for doing what you're doing in the world. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: You are such a generous spirit and such a generous host. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to working with you in the flesh. I know, embodied.
2: Me too. Me too. In real life, two fifty-seven-year-old. Woohoo! Let's go.
0: <laughs> Let's go.
2: Many blessings. Thank you, yeah. everyone. If you enjoy these types of conversations and benefit, please join me at templehaste.com, or also visit at First Unity. Thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you for tuning into The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Rev. Temple Hayes. Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehaze.org.
4: Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? A story from one of the World Wars tells of a Christmas Eve when a spontaneous truce broke out on the battle line. French and German soldiers sang Christmas songs together, shared food, gifts and stories and played games. For a few hours there was peace. Peace passed with Christmas. The next day found the soldiers back in their foxholes shooting at each other. We can choose to see either the tragedy in this story, the soldiers did go back to fighting, or the possibility the story suggests that in any moment, in any situation, there can be peace. That Christmas Eve truce began with a single soldier singing. Others joined in. When I sing my song of peace, who knows how many will join me and how long the peace will last. I can make a difference. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org.
3: Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention, in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Cannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression.